Hello, and welcome to the Leader Talks at Axiom podcast. This is a podcast designed to help all of us understand Axiom's leader expectations better. I'm Amy Elrod, and I look after talent development for Axiom, and I'm excited to be your host today. I also have Levi Gilbert as our producer behind the scenes. In today's episode, we will continue looking at lead with business savvy, and we're going to focus specifically on the competencies of business acumen and command skills. Business acumen is all about understanding Axiom's business, our industry, our clients' business, and really understanding our financial processes and the role that you play in those. Command skills is about using your business savvy to take stands when necessary. Being a leader with command skills means that there are going to be times when you understand the implications, the risks of a certain situation better than anyone because of your expertise. You have to have the ability to to take that stand in a way that continues to maintain relationships that still get to the outcome that needs to be achieved. Command skills is also about being a leader who can step up and lead even when things are not going exactly how you hoped they would go. So using some of that emotional intelligence to, to keep your cool and keep yourself collected and step up and be that leader that your team needs. We have two leaders who I think are perfect for this, these competencies for this episode. We have Dave Van Epps, who is one of our senior directors in delivery and financial services. He has a huge passion for business acumen, financial acumen. So I think you'll enjoy hearing from him on this. And then we also welcome Beth Ann Begum. Beth Ann is our chief security officer and definitely finds herself at times having to take stands that perhaps are unpopular. So we'll hear from her about how she does that and continues to have those relationships with her partners out in the business. I hope you'll enjoy hearing from Dave and Beth Ann on these competencies. Beth Ann and Dave, welcome to Leader Talks at Axiom. Thanks, Amy. Hey, Amy. So glad to be here. Yeah, we're so glad you're here. Well, as you know, one thing we love to start out with is just hearing about you and hearing about your career. Beth Ann, tell us about yourself, what you do now, and what got you to where you are. Uh, thanks so much. And again, thanks, Amy, for having uh, me today on Leader Talk. Um, my role at Axiom is um, the uh, Chief Security and Compliance Officer. And I've been part of the Axiom family now almost for two and a half years. I cannot believe it. Uh, wow. Like a, <laughs> I know. Just like yesterday, we just started. Yeah. Um, I've been in IT for 26 years and uh, the last 13 years in uh, information security in several different responsibilities um, in the uh, sort of like your 12 categories of security domains underneath that banner. Uh, and it's been a very interesting track for sure. Um, really um, to dive into that now, if that works. For, for you, Amy? Yeah, tell us a little bit about it. Well, you know, um, as a security professional, when you look at that um, sort of category of career field, there's three archetypes or three types of professionals that come up the track. You've got your military, uh, military intelligence background, really strong um, focus there. You've got, a, you know, heavy technical um, cyber defense 
um, you know, art or engineering architecture background. And then there's the audit risk, um, enterprise risk. Um, and so my, my trajectory, if you will, has been through the audit risk into the tech um, over the past uh, years. And it's been interesting because I've had the opportunity to touch so many different aspects of um, domains in the IT and security space that it sort of rolls up into this, um, you know, current role where I'm able to touch a little bit of each aspect of, of the job. Um, I think the funniest part of the journey, uh, or I guess the most memorable that was a pivot for me was, uh, you know, one of the companies where I worked, I was known as being the SOP queen because I really like a good procedure. I like a really nice quality. <laughs> Who doesn't? Who Everything doesn't love a good procedure? <laughs> wonderful. You know, when you execute, you can't ask for anything better than that. Um, but I was in the middle of um, high audit season and I kept, you know, I was getting these audit findings because I owned all the policies. Like, who, be- who better to give the findings to? And uh, I received a finding, I can't remember what it was, um, you know, what, what time of the year it was, but uh, it was like against, uh, against the software development practices. And I remember sitting down with the auditor and I said, you know what? I'm going to take this last finding and I'm going to own it. I'm going to drive it to closure, but that's it. You know, we're going to, I'm, I'm, at this point I'm pivoting and it's all about the code. And, and that was a, a, it was a pretty large transition for me because I think, you know, anytime we manage a career, I think the, the story that I'm trying to tell is you have to constantly pivot, right? Mm-hmm. You may start off a set of skills that drive you and get you to a place of maturity, but then as the industry or tech or things around you change, you're constantly pivoting to be ready to accelerate for the next, you know, sprint. Uh, and that was the big eye opener for me. I had to let go of my policies and really get into understanding. <laughs> like so, go of those policies. Oh, it was it was hard. Yeah. <laughs> everything, everything automation. If I can't automate it, I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, thank you for that. And I, I think that's such a great message for this lead with business savvy topic that you do need to continue to pivot. You need to continue to build that expertise in different areas. So thank you for that. And Dave, what about you? Tell us about your career journey. Do you also love policies and procedures? Maybe not as much as Bethann, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm super excited to be here. And I, I think more excited than being here, I'm excited to be sitting alongside Bethann, whom I greatly respect and admire as one of the best leaders I work with. So Super privileged to be here. Yeah, yeah. So I'm Dave Venops. I'm a senior delivery director in our financial services industry. I've been at Axiom uh, 11 years, pushing 12 now. And way back when, I started my career as a data center assembler program, working on these mainframes. Wow, I did not know that. That is interesting. (laughs) Cool. Eventually, I moved out of uh, assembler and into real languages or newer languages, I should say. Uh, And I got into the world of application programming. And it didn't take long to realize I wasn't crazy about the way people were managing people or projects. So I decided to do something and I went back and got my master's to hone up on some management skills. And I also took some project management classes, earned my PMP and moved in that direction. Uh, I took on a number of different IT roles, but I always was in that area of projects and development and delivery. And what I really fell in love with as my true passion 
was delivering outcomes, uh, delivering to clients, delivering solutions, and leading teams and organizations to be the, the best they can be, both individually and collectively. And so at one point in uh, my career, I was working with a, a vendor at the time, and a couple of their executives went on to work for Axiom. And they called me one day and said, hey, we got a place that you got to check out. It's a great company, phenomenal yes. culture, great people. And uh, that was uh, 11 and a half years ago, I came to Axiom and I get to do meaningful work with wonderful people. Uh, I love what I do and I, I love the chance to make a positive impact on our clients and our associates every day. Oh, that's so great. And I, you know, I've known you for a little bit in your career journey. And I think you definitely, I definitely see that in you making that positive impact. And I love something, I just want to pull out something you said in your career journey that you looked around and you were thinking, I don't really like how this is going. I don't really like how people are managing people. I don't really like how the projects are being managed. And instead of just maybe complaining to a friend of yours, you said, well, what could I do about it? Well, I could learn more about this and then I could make a positive impact. So I really liked that. Yeah, Thank we're you. Talk about lifelong learning today, because I think there's a lot that we can all get. You, you already got it from Bethann in her intro, learning, pivoting, changing, doing what you need to do just to make yourself and the people around you better. Yes. Well, I'm going to stick with you for the next question, Dave, and I think we'll hear that thread throughout is just tell me why you think lead with business savvy is so critical for our leaders. Yeah, let me, let me start by playing off what Tate said last week, because I thought it was so good. Um, it's important to have business savvy because Axiom is in business. Our yes. business <laughs> requires that we return a profit to our parent company, IPG, who then returns uh, an ROI or return on investment to our shareholders, people who invested their money in IPG and Axiom. Now break that down a level. And if you want to have that um, return on investment, you got to get profit. Profit mm -hmm. comes from revenue, revenue comes from clients. Our clients happen to be in business too. So they're looking for the same outcomes, right? They need to return a positive ROI to their shareholders. So what we need to do is create that win-win where both companies are successful in business and return that profit. So that's where business savvy comes in. We need to find ways to help our clients win while we win, or as Tate said, delivering outcomes for our clients. Right. Now to deliver those outcomes, we've talked in this series pretty extensively about emotional intelligence and the leadership attributes, empathy, relationships, trust, authenticity. And it's really hard to build a client relationship or any relationship without those fundamental EI elements. Now, those are great, but there's more, right? The additional element is clients need to know that you're a trusted partner. They need mm -hmm. to know you understand their business, you understand their industry, you understand how Axiom can help them be successful. And when they see that you're personally aligned in their success, then client outcomes seem to be a natural conclusion. So the first time I think I ever saw this really come to light, was uh, when Dennis Self took over delivery several years ago. And one of the things he would challenge us routinely is, he'd say, so tell me your, the stock price of your client within one click of your phone. Mm. And your phone, and you had to tell him. And at first I thought it was kind of, a, kind of just a, a challenge, but then I realized he was challenging us. The more you know about your client, the more you know about the industry, the more you know about what's making their stock go up, what's making their stock go down, what they need to do to be successful, what are their goals? So when you show that you're truly vested in their goals, 
it takes you from being a vendor to being a true trusted partner. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because if you don't know what's going on with their stock price, if you, you're just like, hey, we're just out here churning this work for them. If you don't know how they're doing financially, then you're not going to be seen as that trusted partner. You're not going to be seen as someone who can say, hey, I noticed this happening. Here's what we can do to help you with that. So yeah, good. I think you know that we're in it for the win-win. Actually, yes. client wins. Good. All right, Bethann, over to you. Why is business savvy or lead with business savvy so critical? Well, I can't, I, I think that Dave set the stage like fantastic. And I think that's why um, I enjoy partnering with him and his team. As an internal shared service provider, the same context, even though I'm not directly interfacing with the customer and with the client, but that relationship passes through Dave's organization to my organization. That's so if right. I don't understand what Dave is trying to achieve, what he's driving for, his commitments to the customer, I'm not delivering the internal services in the right manner. So it's a, it's a very um, closely related um, goal, vision, strategy, you know, family. It, we also bring in the human side of delivering and um, we can't do it in, in buckets or in silos. So, you know, one of the things that I, I constantly ask the team is, you know, what's happening from the accountable leader side? Um, what, are the, what are their targets? What are they trying to achieve? What are the processes that we are invoking to support their delivery of services? And then can we simplify that? You know, and there's mm -hmm. a couple areas partnering with these organization, you know, we sort of take a step back and we scratch our heads like, you know, why are we doing it this way? Uh, <laughs> let's go in there. Um, but, you know, it, it's, we, I think we're past the place and time where uh, internal shared services can operate uh, without understanding the big um, the vision, why we're in the, the business that we're in and the financial targets that we have to achieve. Um, yeah. I, uh, you know, my current, um, Janet Stefano, who's the uh, chief information officer at, at here at Axiom, always says, you know, we shouldn't say, you know, I'm here to support the business. We are the business as well. So we, and that's a, that's a huge mindset shift that we have to practice, um, uh, especially as traditional um, IT infrastructure sort of roles. Yeah, and I think that's a great message. I also am in shared services. I sit in HR. Uh, so I think that's a great message for our HR teams, our finance teams, our marketing teams, that we are the business as well. So as we're thinking about bringing new programs, bringing new offerings to the business, we need to be so connected to them and to their work so that what we're bringing to them is relevant. So thank you for that. Dave, I'm going to pitch back to you with a question. Um, so I know that an area that I personally need to develop in is a better understanding of the company financials. So, you know, I was a theater and speech major, company financials, not necessarily something that I think about a lot, but I know it's something that you are quite passionate about, helping people understand things like P&L and OIBIA and CapEx and OpEx and margin and all these words that I'm saying that I'm not really sure I understand what they mean. Uh, so help us think about some ways that we could develop that knowledge and continue to grow in those areas. Well, that's great, Amy. 
Um, and, and in fact, as an assembler programmer and someone who came up through the technical ranks, there, there are actually times when I remember saying, you know, if I ever have to learn corporate financials, I'm probably just going to lose my mind. And here we are later <laughs> look on. Look at you now. <laughs> I have to understand them. It, it's really a fundamental skill for all leaders. And the farther you grow your career, the more you need to understand financial acumen. But I'll be the first to admit, uh, and you just throw out the, the laundry list, right? OIBAA, EBITDA, and gross margin, net margin, contribution margin. Oh my gosh, it's so confusing. There's so much out there. Um, but fortunately, I will say there are some great resources. And if you're one of those people who doesn't understand it, this would be a great opportunity to write down something because I've listed just a few for you here. So for one, um, there's some uh, financial acumen courses out there on Workday Learning. Plug for you and Workday Learning, Amy. Thank you. Um, Thank you very much. The current <laughs> offering that was out there, at least as of yesterday afternoon, is called Business Acumen for Sales. It focuses on financial uh, statements and metrics. Um, there's also other financial acumen courses you've had over time on Workdays. Mm -hmm. Checking back, lots that you can do on there. Um, we've done some internal courses. Uh, Jim Bosser and I have run some financial acumen classes for the FS1 world. Uh, we'd be happy to share that information with you, walk you through it. Uh, you can check out uh, LinkedIn Learning has a track called Developing mm -hmm. Business Acumen. And within that track, there are courses called Understanding the P&L. Sometimes these are a little bit more generic to the industry. The principles are all the same. Yeah. Um, I'll also be the first to say, you know, first 10 times I heard OIBAA, I kept forgetting what it was and it just didn't stick. <laughs> Google it, go back out and, uh, you know, keep a browser window open and just, you know, hit Google and you hear something EBITDA, right? Just Google it, see what it is, understand it. Uh, there's websites like Corporate Finance Institute. I went searching and there's, there's several of them, but that was one. They have some very good basic information you can use just to help you understand it. Um, and, and I always think it's great to uh, you know, stand on the shoulders of giants. If you have somebody who you can, you can lean on as a mentor or even just, just talk to them about this, why not spend 30 minutes talking to somebody who understands it? You build a relationship, build your network, and at the same time, learn a new topic. Great ways to pick up some more learning on business acumen. Good. Well, th thanks for the plug, number one, for Workday Learning. And actually, we will link when we send out this in, to our internal people, we'll link to some of the things that you've mentioned there. But I also want to hit on something you said that I think is a great piece of advice. That if you're sitting in a meeting and somebody throws out an acronym or even a term, like some terms we just don't understand, just write it down and go back and look it up later. I think that's really just a good strategy to continue to develop your knowledge in whatever area you're trying to develop it. Just write it down, go back and Google it. You can find a lot of great information. So good. All right, Beth Ann. When, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, when, yes, back to you, Beth Ann. <laughs> uh, we recently had Letitia, who's on your team, on the podcast. And we asked her this question, and I would like to, to hear your thoughts on it as well. So you are out there, you and your team are playing such a vital role for us. You are protecting not only our clients' data, but our data as well. We have data here at Axiom that you're, so, you know, our names and addresses and financial information, you're making sure that it's all protected. How do you continue to develop the expertise that you need to stay ahead of hackers and bad actors and people who are trying to get at that data? Well, it takes a combination of um, staying on top of industry trends and changes in technology. Um, so we spend a lot of time connecting to um, 
industry teams, other CISOs, um, industry groups. Um, every week I'm on a call with groups of information security officers um, learning about how they're addressing and dealing with similar issues. Uh, and we grow together as a community. Um, and then there's also certifications um, that are extremely important uh, as technology is changing. Um, but one of the biggest ways to learn is constantly taking a step back and learning from failure. Um, mm. That's of, uh, you know, the fastest way to ingest learning um, into myself, the group, the team, is as we execute and things come across, we have a couple Slack channels and one of the Slack channels is dedicated to pulsing fast learning nuggets out to the key decision makers that, and it doesn't mean leadership team member, right? It means people that have critical roles through the team that um, are the go-to decision makers and executors. Those are the people that are part of the Slack channel and we're constantly pulsing information to each other so that we're making real-time fast decisions and also learning on the fly. Um, there's a lot happening right now in the tech space in, in, as companies continue to advance uh, into cloud first, um, uh, not just cloud technologies, but leveraging the ability to share information across cloud platforms using API connections and other um, means that have sped up integration, but it also creates a whole new paradigm from a security perspective. So uh, yeah, training and learning, you know, learning uh, is real-time constant for sure. Uh, Bethann, a couple of things I want to, to pull out on that answer. I loved your uh, your message on how you connect with other leaders in the industry. And I think that's really important advice, really good advice that if you are in um, in a situation where there are people outside the walls of Axiom that you could connect with, people who do a similar function, reach out to them, hear what's going on in their area, hear what's going on in their business and see what you can glean. Because a lot of times the challenges that you're facing, even if it's in a different company, are, they're similar. And so you can learn together. I also really liked the thought of learning from failure, that when something goes wrong, instead of having a complete panic, well, maybe you have, first you have a complete panic, but then, <laughs> then you step back and think, well, what can we do differently next time based on what we learn from that? So I really liked both of those. And Bethann, I'm going to stick with you for this question, and we're going to focus in on this one on command skills. So that's one of the competencies that we're talking about, of course. And command skills means that you can be that leader that faces adversity head on and sometimes has to take unpopular stands to get results. And when I think about your role as the chief security officer, you have to do what's right to protect our data from those hackers and bad actors, even if what you're telling people is unpopular. So how do you take the stands that you need to take and continue to maintain those relationships along the way? Oh, thanks, Amy. It, it, sometimes it's not, it's not easy. You know, um, yeah. when I moved to, um, when I pivoted out of um, 
clients, this is about, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. Um, so out of traditional compliance and assurance, I pivoted mm -hmm. from that into security. I think that's when I started to realize that um, this is not a space where you mince words, right? You have to be clear. You have to hold the line. Um, you have to articulate in, um, in ways that uh, is designed to protect the integrity and the confidentiality and the availability of things that we all hold dear. And um, the journey and the privilege that I realized at the time is I realized that it is my honor to be on the front line protecting and defending in a way that is um, what others would expect uh, of me when they look at their data. So that's always, when I wake up in the morning, I'm waking up always with the concept that I am the only one, you know, the team, we are the only ones, right? I'm the only one who is, have, who has this privilege. Therefore, mm -hmm. you take it as an honor and you stand your principles and then you execute with that always in mind. So it creates an interesting dialogue on how to identify ways to influence or position the conversation because I also don't want to come across as the no team, right? <laughs> <So> <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> it's hard. been with me on this journey. So my natural, you know, personal development style is I'm just going to be, you know, here's what it is. I need to tell you, this is a really good message. It's going to be healthy for you, but it sort of always sounds like a no anyhow. So evolving <laughs> delivery style, finding key messages, you know, sort of key nuggets in the purpose. We're all driving for a similar purpose, whether it's client side, internal services side, uh, any of those lenses, finding what that, you know, key business process or key outcome or and then gravitate or leverage that and hone in on that um, using that as a, as a starting point to have a conversation is uh, is helpful and then sometimes you just have to be able to say what needs to be said yeah I think I think you do have to say no sometimes obviously you don't want to be seen as the no person but you do sometimes have to say no I would think um but I like how you're saying like it's in the delivery so if you're just like no we're not going to do that well that's probably not going to build those relationships but if you said hey I'm out here on the front lines protecting your client's data and here's why this isn't going to be something that's going to be advisable and you say no but really you're not just saying no, <laughs> you're delivering yeah. it in, in a way that helps them understand that you have their best interests in mind. Good, good, and good. Thing, Amy, if it's okay with you, um, one of the things that I've learned through, you know, a lot of the training that you have, uh, you and your team have delivered through Axiom is that sometimes by saying no, I, it, I'm actually suffocating my own learning, right? Instead mm. of, okay, let me listen to what they're trying to achieve and then find a way to pivot, remain secure, but pivot the solution so that we can enable something, right? So um, that's like a huge 
task for me right now is that enablement piece behind the security function. Yeah, instead of just going with that first instinct of no, that's not going to work, really listening. And I think we can take, we can apply that in lots of different ways. So if it's something that you hear from your client, for example, Dave, you're like, I don't really think that's a great idea. But if you can say, well, help me understand what you're really trying to accomplish, then understanding that why behind the ask can sometimes help you get to something that you can do, that you can say yes to. Good. Well, Dave, I want to continue on this thought on command skills that another piece of that definition is that there are times when being business savvy means facing tough challenges and, and stepping up to be someone your team wants to follow, even in times of adversity and crisis. You have been a speaker in our Foundations of Leadership program, so I know that you led your team through a client situation that I think we could definitely say was one with adversity, but I think you and your leadership team stepped up to, and did some things that kept it from being a crisis. How did you lead through that tough situation? Sure. And as I answer that, let me first comment that I'm so impressed that a chief information security officer has talked about learning and learning and learning. You would think at that <laughs> point you would know everything that there is to know, but it seems like she's very focused on constantly learning and, and becoming better. So that's awesome. Yes, that is great. Yeah. So, Amy, we came into a situation at a key client renewal about five years ago. And in that renewal, the client indicated that they were soon going to give us notice. And once they do, we're going to have 90 days to eliminate 18 positions. Ugh, talk about a leadership nightmare. Right. Uh, I lost sleep over it and we really struggled. Uh, what do we do about this? Uh, there was no good answer. But like you've said before in this situation, sometimes you have to make that unpopular decision and you have to have a, a perspective as a leader that maybe others don't have. So we decided the best approach was to be brutally transparent about the reality of the situation and to come up with a game plan to mitigate the situation. Now, this wasn't so bad with the people who were affected, but everybody else was a little concerned that this would cause people to run for the door. People would immediately disengage and everybody else would be left with more work. We'd be missing dates. We'd be missing um, revenue opportunities. So it wasn't the most popular decision we ever made. Um, however, we did commit that we would provide all the support possible to help everybody on the team find a job, uh, whether inside or outside of accident. So we came back to the 18 associates a few days later with our game plan. We rolled it out and we created a scorecard and we had everybody's name listed and said, you are at risk. And when we get notice, you'll have 90 days left. And we started listing out uh, at the top of this matrix, every leader at Axiom who said they were committed to helping us find new jobs for these associates. I had people all over delivery, product, you, security, you name it. We had people who were jumping in ready to help. Uh, we also committed that we would get uh, recruiters and we looked at recruiters in primary geographies because we didn't know that Axiom could absorb 18 people in such short notice. So we met weekly and every week we would show how everybody was doing and we would color code their names, you know, green, yellow or red. And if people were red, we'd focus more and, and try to help them. We'd meet with them personally. We'd help connect them with recruiters. We were shocked at the results. Um, pretty soon the list started turning green. And the more people saw that Axiom was committed to helping them find jobs, the more people stayed engaged. Even the people who were probably 30 days away from the end of their assignment were, were engaged and delivering. I mean, they were getting results out the door, delivering to the client. 
So what what also happened is the client got wind of what was happening and actually ended up hiring a few more of those folks back. So the numbers got better, engagement was never an issue, and ultimately we placed all 18 associates. Now, even better is since that time, several of those associates who took external roles actually came back and I had the pleasure of personally hiring a few of them back into Axiom. So here was a case where we really had to look at the perspective, understand that it would be unpopular with a lot of people, how we were approaching the situation, but it turned out that delivering this bad news with honesty and a very transparent plan of how to solve it, it ended up with sustained business results, more loyalty, more engagement, and better retention than I ever imagined. Ah, you know, I love that story. I love it because it just shows so many great leadership qualities at work there. But, but I think as we tie it to business savvy, you took an unpopular stand. You had to, to step up and say, this, we're, we're going to be honest and transparent with these people who could be impacted, which, as you said, not everybody thought that was necessarily the right way to go. So you took that unpopular stand because you knew, ultimately, that's what was good for the people but also good for the business. You were able to keep that expertise, keep that knowledge here at Axiom, or if, if you weren't able to keep it here, you've brought it back because of the way that you handled that situation. So I, I love that. It's just a great case study in, in an effective leadership team. So thank you for sharing that story and, and thanks for your leadership on that. Thanks. And Bethann, I'm going to come back to you because it's Dave said, you are the chief security officer and you keep talking about learning and learning and you're continuing to learn. So we are asking everyone in this series, this question that I don't think anyone would argue that you need to keep your skills up, right? It's important to continue to grow your skills, learn your knowledge, all of those things. It's common sense. But what we find is that things that are common sense are not always common practice. What do you think gets in the way of people developing their skills and how would you recommend they overcome those obstacles? That's an interesting question because I think people, so I'm going to take the question in a holistic manner, the way, the way I hear it. First, I want to just compliment Dave because I appreciate you and the level of, um, sensitivity and execution of blend that you shared in that story is, you know, an amazing aspect of what I see from you as a leader. So I just wanted to share that with you. Um, and so, Amy, I want to just um, sort of take the concept of learning. And I think people actually do invest in learning um, outside of work and home and, and what they are interested in. I think um, I think when we sort of zero in more into the question as it relates to work-related competencies, I think a lot of it stems back to the leader not setting the expectation that you have to evolve. Um, and so part of the performance goals that I have for my team is the expectation that you will evolve. Like you can't mm-hmm. you can't not know what's happening in the space and the industry and technology. And and it's important for a couple of reasons. One is as a highly highly valuable commodity, as a person, you have a brand. And your brand has to stay current um, and um, 
salient to the market. And the only way we can, we can do that as, a, as an entity, as a brand, is to stay current on technology and constantly apply that technology in the job that we're doing so we're advancing our skills and staying marketable. So as a leader, if I'm not communicating to my team that that's an expectation and I, and, and I will look, you know, I will look for that happening in your performance goals, then I'm not serving my team well. Now, on the flip side of that, as a leader, it's my responsibility to then prioritize the work so that they have time to learn or time to practice or apply the skill. So recently, you know, as we all have been having this conversation about the protracted or prolonged issues under the pandemic, uh, we, you know, and, and the burnout conversations that we've been having around training, you know, in our training. Um, so we just, for our team, we not only have um, applied the, you know, no meeting Fridays, but we've set Fridays aside for, for development. And mm. I've also said, you know, hey, if you need to start that Thursday afternoon into Friday, it's okay, you know. And so, you know, the leadership team helping to prioritize that work so that they can spend some time doing that. So I think it's, it's I think it, I think the reason why it doesn't happen is I think as leaders we're not helping to cultivate it and then create time for it. Oh, okay. I think I need to give both of you the gold stars because I'm loving all of your answers. Yes, Beth, and I agree that if we say to people, "Hey, you need to be learning. You need to be learning," but their leader is not helping them prioritize their work. They're not helping clear the path a little bit to give them that breathing room to be able to do that learning. Then it's going to be really, really difficult for people to just kind of fit that into their day-to-day. So I think that's a great message for all of our leaders. So thank you for that. And Dave, what about you? What would you add to that? Well, I love that answer. And I I think it comes down to the same thing, time. And last week we heard Tate talk about, and I love this quote, the quote, tyranny of the urgency, right? Yes, we're yes. We're always so buried in the urgent that when it comes time for learning and development, we, we don't find the time anymore. And I've struggled with this as I think we all have at points in our career. And at one point I realized I can't keep doing what I'm doing. Something has to change. So I did a lot of reading of, of top leadership and blogs, blogs and experts and posts and all sorts of stuff. I was, I was just trying to research what are some best practices and how do people do it? Mm-hmm. And what it really comes down to is two things, make the time and make it easy. So mm-hmm. one of the best practices I learned was even if you just spend five minutes a day on work days, not even weekends, that adds up to 20 hours of learning a year. And once you make that practice of five minutes, it's pretty easy to make it 10 minutes. So that's 40 hours a year you can put into learning and personal development. So again, if you're a note taker, this is worth your price of admission. <laughs> I'm going to boil down some of these best practices, make the time make it easy. So how do you make up the time? And one of the problems is we all think like Microsoft Outlook, right? In 30 minute chunks of our day. And you can't, you've got to think of it as two minutes, three minutes, five minutes. You got to look for those windows of opportunity. Uh, It may not be practical to wake up at 4am, but I bet if you woke up five minutes earlier, you could put five minutes of learning in. Um, Every time at night, we all do it. You jump on Facebook, Twitter, some type of social media. Instead of jumping on for 20 minutes, take the first five minutes, make it a learning five minutes, and then then go to social. Uh, You're stuck waiting for a doctor for five minutes, uh, two to three minutes at a time when your favorite show goes to commercial. A meeting surprisingly ends five minutes early, or meeting invitees are five minutes late, or maybe (laughs) taking a flight somewhere and you're stuck in an airport or on a plane or no Wi-Fi. 
Um, you're waiting for your kid at soccer practice. Anytime you're in wait mode, you've got an opportunity. And if you add up those two, three minute chunks I just talked about throughout the day, you can easily come up with 10, 15, 20 minutes a day of learning. Now, part two is make it easy. And I'm going to go back to the kind of self mode of, you know, one click away. And what I found is right. the, the experts all say, if you have the information, one click, if you got to dig through your email box, if you got to dig through the web, it's not happening. So um, Dennis mentioned, you know, you put your stock ticker with your client stock, one click away. Uh, Harvard Business Review, Wall Street Journal, Forbes, they all have mobile apps. Uh, you can put mm -hmm. them on your browser, homepage, one click away. Uh, industry specific uh, news. Uh, in automotive, there's Automotive News Magazine. FinTech is FinTech Magazine. There's a lot of other things. Download them, put them in a folder, have them one click away. And I suggest doing it on your phone and your browser. So whether you're sitting at your laptop or whether you're stuck at a doctor's office, it's always one click away. That's the key. Um, ah, that's uh, yeah, thought leaders, blogs, podcasts, um, you know, bookmark them, link them, whatever it is. Follow Axiom and your clients on LinkedIn. Um, last week, I heard a pitch for Axiom's website. There's always information about our value propositions, our products or services, even um, earnings reports. Uh, you can take all your emails you get. Sometimes we're too busy to look at emails. Um, Axiom marketing bulletins, content navigator, anything from Sarah Wilson, You'll learn about the products <laughs> and services. Um, save them off to a folder, but save them somewhere where that folder is a click away. Uh, and the best trick I think I ever learned was Google Alerts. If you go into Google Alerts, you can select things like your clients and mm -hmm. where you'd like to see if they appear. So for example, whenever all, any of my clients appear in the Wall Street Journal or New York Times, I get an email every day summarizing that. So I wake up, I got one email, it's one click away. I can see how my clients appeared in the news the day before. So make the time, make it easy. Ah, I love that. What, that. Just so many nuggets. You're right. If you're taking notes, write all those down. Yeah. But one thing I just want to key in on there is if, you, if I were to say to, to an associate, hey, this year you really need to get 40 hours of learning in. I feel like people would say, how am I going to find the time to do that? But I love how you're like, just take 10 minutes a day. 10 minutes a day adds up to 40 hours of learning every year, 10 minutes a day during your work week, not even counting weekends. Yeah. Um, so really good strategies. And I bet, I think you have to plan for that, right? You have to have it, have what you want to be learning easy to access so that when you find those spare five minutes, it's right there. So really good advice. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, well, we are going to switch gears a little bit. Thank you so much for your thoughts on lead with business savvy and command skills. We are now going to talk about you. So let's hear uh, about your careers and about things that are going on with you right now. Beth Ann, what was your first paying job and what did you learn from it that you apply to your career today? Oh, my goodness. Uh, my first paying job was a paper route, uh, and this was actually when I was nine, so my dad had to help me with that, so maybe it wasn't technically, <laughs> uh, but um, the, you know, um, then, then the actual first job after that was working at McDonald's. The main thing that I learned from that is that one of the um, ethics or principles that they had was they always said thank you after you received the instruction or and so that principle of being thankful to have a job and thankful for work and thankful to be part of a team is something that 
Um, I saying thank you carried that on for a long time, but then you know after a while it's really the essence of it. So that's something that still sort of sticks with me now. Mm, I love that. Also, I think that Chad Inglegau said his first job was a paper route, I think. So maybe you all could talk about that. I think it was Chad. <laughs> well, my route was actually inside of a hospital. So I would oh. go into hospital rooms meeting with the different patients and gave them their papers. So I didn't have a full route <laughs> either. So I maybe that's not even a route. <laughs> I think it is. What about you, Dave? I actually, my first job was in a grocery store where I was a bagger when we had these things called paper bags for groceries. Remember those? Mm, yeah. So there's a whole art to how you pack the bags, but then we were expected to carry the bags out to the car for the customer. And our grocery store was a couple cents per item higher than the two or three other neighboring grocery stores. So our whole value proposition was that people came for the service. So it really taught you, you got to bend over backwards, go the extra mile, be super courteous, make sure you attend to the client's needs, anticipate, learn the cars, know, that extra thing you can do. We heard yesterday, right? The dinner mint, uh, we had to provide mm -hmm. the dinner mint um, to make sure that the client would keep coming back. Yeah, give them that little extra something so that they would be willing to pay that little bit more to get that great service. Good. Okay, Dave, if you had a time machine and could go back to when you were first starting your career, what would you tell yourself? Oh, I was so hard on myself when I started uh, <laughs> in my career over failure you make a mistake. It was like the end of the world. And I, I wish that I learned then that it's okay to make mistakes. It's not about making them. You're going to make them, but yeah. it's what you do with them that matters. Right. And yeah. I loved uh, Josh yesterday, the failure of the year award concept that he introduced. Um, so if you use the failure, you fail early, you fail off and you fail forward. The mistakes then don't define you. They really refine you and make you better. And as leaders, right. Even more important, we not only hold ourselves to that standard, but we encourage our people to make mistakes. We encourage them to fail, fail often, fail forward, fail fast. But the key is improve each time. Improve. You got to learn. Good. Bethann, what about you? What would you tell yourself? Uh, I would say um, stick with your, you know, the unction, right? Um, we hear a lot about a term called, you know, being your authentic self, which I think can be applied in so many different lenses. But the one lens that I think is under research is the authentic self as it relates to your natural skills that, you know, the skills that mm -hmm. really um, are who you are in the workplace. And so for me, my authentic skill is I'm a connector and a problem mm -hmm. solver. Those two competencies are what have driven significant outcomes for me over the years. And when I was starting out, being a connector and a problem solver, when you don't necessarily have decision-making or authority, <laughs> it's sort of a, you know, an interesting combination as you um, evolve through um, your career. But I think I would have told myself to hang in there. Uh, you're sensing something, follow the thread, you've got it you know, just keep going because you will solve a lot of these problems. Uh, and so I, you know, I'm comfortable with it now, but I definitely um, wasn't when I was younger. Okay, good. Well, Bethann, next question to you. What is the best leadership advice you've received and who gave it to you? Wow, that's a loaded question. Uh, <laughs> okay, quick. 
round, uh, rapid round. Uh, the best advice was always to always articulate your accomplishments in terms of value to the business. At the mm -hmm. end of the day, we're, Dave said it well at the beginning. We are here to generate a profit and generate revenue. And so that means everything I do has to tie to that concept one way or another. Either I'm reducing the expense or I'm generating the revenue. In my space, I'm reducing expense through reducing risk. And so mm -hmm. everything that I need to do, you have to articulate what you're accomplishing in terms of business value, because that is why companies retain you, and that's why they hire you, right? We're here right. to solve problems and generate value. So that was a, a big And Dave? You may not know this about me, Amy, but I was actually a part-time paramedic when I lived back in New York for 16 years. And on my very first day of paramedic school, our instructor said, when you walk into a situation, no matter how bad or how messy it is, the first thing you do is take care of yourself. Take a mm. deep breath, be calm, focus on the problem at hand, and consider all the tools that are available to you in your arsenal. Because whether someone's bleeding to death, shot in the chest, pinned under a car, or having a heart attack, you cannot help unless you're calm, collected, and clear in your thinking. And that translates directly to leadership. And mm -hmm. if you're freaking out, not only can you not lead, but you're not able to set the tone for your team. So in any situation, especially when it's high urgency, take that deep breath, relax, get your arms around the situation, look at the tools in your arsenal, and then focus on the problem at hand. And then you set the tone where everybody has the problem-solving mentality with you. Good. All right, Dave, what is a good leadership book or podcast you have read or listened to that you'd recommend? Can I share two? Sure. Okay. The first <laughs> is Don Grauman's book, Strategic Pause. Um, I know it's been recommended before, but I thought I had a really solid leadership framework. And then I read his book and I said, oh my, I need to up my game. So it's really <laughs> a great book to teach you to take a strategic pause, which is when you take that, that time out to step out of the whirlwind and really look at things from a different perspective. Look at the horizon, excellent advice. He also talks through these things called leadership templates, which are the tools I just talked about that are part of your tool mm -hmm. that are at your disposal. It's really getting an inventory and assessment of those tools that you can use on a regular basis. So the second one, sorry, not sorry, but I wrote a book called In Our Weakness, We Are Strong. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's about how to take the darkest, most difficult challenges in your life and use them as a springboard to make yourself stronger and better. So it's, it's more of a faith-based book, but it's also a leadership book because a lot of the principles are equally applicable. And I'm not keeping any of the profits. They're going to a, a charity I'm supporting. So it's not that shameless of a plug. <laughs> well, thank you. And you know, why come on a podcast if you can't plug a book that you've written, right? So <laughs> thanks, Dave. Beth Ann, what about you? Uh, well, you know, I think for me is uh, the tipping point. And the reason why is, um, you know, again, my route was non-traditional. Um, and then when you compound that with the fact I have, I'm dyslexic, um, mm. the ability to find accelerators in interesting places is something that Malcolm Gladwell's work has helped me, actually, you know, about both the tipping point and then the outliers. Uh, outliers. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting read. At the end of the day, what he's saying is that you like the more the skill that you hone in on, whether it's because of your natural inclination or, or because of what you practice, is what you're going to accelerate in. And so, those, the combination of those two books, um, I, I 
constantly sort of pivot back and forth on. Okay, good. Um, all right, Bethann, you've had a really stressful day. You're going to get in the car or go on a walk and you're going to blast some tunes. What are you blasting? Uh, it's probably going to be Nirvana. Yeah. Rick and uh, something like that, you know, on the run. <laughs> <laughs> Never would have guessed Nirvana from you. I love it. So that's awesome. <laughs> Dave, what about you? What are you blasting? I'm definitely not as cool as Beth Ann, but I love Christian worship music. So I'm going to crank that up. And if I'm in the car with the windows closed, I'll even sing along because if the windows are <laughs> open, you do not want to hear this voice. Oh, that's good. All right, Dave. Uh, if you have a week to do anything you want to do, what are you going to, what are you going to do? Well, who's getting who? I'm coming here. All right. Um, as, assuming it's warm out, which isn't always a good assumption in Michigan. Uh, I'm waking up, I'm going to do a long run or a long bike ride, and then spend the day on the boat with the family. Ah, oh, lovely. Beth Ann? Hey, I'd like to tag along with Dave's family, but um, <laughs> if it's a day outside, and my husband and I are going to take the dogs out, because we're doggy parents, and with kids already out, of, we're empty nesters, so, uh, so yeah, we're going to take the dogs out for a good walk, and then I, I just love house projects. Um, mm. here. So you do some house projects. All right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Final question. Uh, we're going to say besides family. So we're going to put the caveat of besides family, Beth Ann, fill in the blank. I can't live without blank. Um, I can't live without just a good conversation. Like you know, friends and good conversation. Mm, love it. Good. Dave? Um, I'd lump my faith right up there with my family, but outside of that, I would say my boat, my bike, mm. my running shoes. <laughs> Let's get outside and do some things. Let's That's go. That's good. Oh, thank you both so much for being on the podcast today. It was so much fun learning about you and hearing your advice for other leaders and associates. So, Thank you so much for taking the time. Hey, thanks for having us. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Dave, too. Been the best uh, partner ever on this. Likewise. <laughs> I really appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, my goodness. I had so much fun talking to Dave and Beth Ann, and I think they had fun, too. They seem to really respect each other, really appreciate the value that the other one brings. So I think they had fun, too, and hopefully you did as well. Some things I really liked about what they said. First off, I loved how Beth Ann said, business acumen is important because wherever you sit in the company, you're part of the business. We're not just supporting the business if we're in HR or in finance or IT and operations, we're part of the business. So it's really important that we understand what's going on at our company, what's going on in the industry, what's going on with our clients. I also really liked how she described that she is listening when she's taking those stands. We talked about command skills being that sometimes you have to take a stand because of the, the expertise that you have. But I liked how she said, instead of just saying no and taking a stand and saying, no, we're not gonna do that. She said, I've really been trying to listen because that helps me learn. It helps me understand more about what's going on with a client. 
And it helps us get to a collaborative outcome. Instead of just saying no, and that's the end of it, she said, let me understand more about this. Might not be able to do exactly what you're asking for, but there might be something that we can do. And of course, of course, I loved how Dave said, make the time and make it easy when thinking about learning. And that was an aha moment for me to think about even just five minutes a day can turn into 20 hours in a year. If I were to tell you that you have to do 20 hours of learning this year, you might say, oh, there's no way I could do that. But if I said, hey, do you have five minutes where you could go read an article, read part of a book, watch part of a video, you would probably say, yeah, I have five minutes. Well, adding up all of those five minute chunks turns into a lot of learning throughout the year. Hopefully you were inspired to think about something that you want to grow your skills in and block off even just a little bit of time to put toward that. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hopefully you took away some things that are gonna help you in your journey, your leadership journey, your career development journey because whatever is happening with you today, today is a great day to be a great leader. Thanks so much. Join us again next time.